This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Considering that today we are traveling to the United States, we should look at their numbers. Now, their total number of positive cases sits at 7.5 million due to an increase of 52,523 cases in the last 24 hours. Looking at the epicenter in the United States, California, this state alone has the same amount of deaths as our entire country. And New York City has 1,300 and 56 cases, bringing them to a total of 473,000 cases since the beginning of the pandemic. I was personally shocked looking at these numbers, considering some of the numbers in one state match our statistics in South Africa. Now imagine living in those states and more so testing positive in New York City at the beginning of the pandemic. That is the story of our guest, Sonia Shields, an activist in the social justice arena, a Howard alum, but someone who tested positive for coronavirus in the epicenter of the world. Thank you so much, Sonia, for joining us on the COVID report. And firstly, please share a little about yourself before COVID. Who and where was Sonia? I've always had a very busy life. I live in Brooklyn. I'm a New Yorker. I am an activist, um, a nonprofit executive. I do development, fundraising, marketing, communications, and I have for over 20 years. I've worked for a lot of national and international organizations. Um, Currently, I am the senior associate with a group called Cause Effective, which is a firm that provides coaching, training, workshops, and consulting services uh, to nonprofits. I'm also a consultant and I have um, several clients, two working in the mass incarceration space. And um, I've had a very, very busy life. Um, And and then I came down with COVID, COVID in March. Indeed you did, Sonia. Great segue to my next question. Can you please take us through what was testing positive like for you, especially in the U.S., and how did it change your life? Well, honestly, I was just hit with COVID. You know, in February here in the States, we were starting to hear about it. Um, As I said, I live a very busy life, Uh, take the subway um, every, every day. I was taking the subway every day from Brooklyn into Manhattan, a short trip, but you know, a crowded subway every day. And it was heavy on my mind as it was on everyone's mind. We didn't have a lot of information around how to take precaution, but it was top of mind in terms of washing hands and things like that. My birthday is March the 6th and I always celebrate and I had um, nine other friends get together in a restaurant in Brooklyn on March the 4th. And that evening, you know, we talked politics, we talked about COVID. One of my dear friends was feeling very tired. Um, She's a speaker and an author and travels all around the world um, speaking. And she had to go to Las Vegas the next day for a speaking engagement. And I remember her saying, you know, she just didn't feel right. She didn't feel right. She felt tired. She didn't really want to fly. No one really wanted to fly at that time. And I honestly, when I think back, I felt a little tired, but, you know, I was sort of at the same time glowing because it was my birthday and I was heading to Washington, D.C. two days later for Howard University's uh, gala. I'm an alumni of Howard. 
And so she took off the next morning. I took off that Friday. I went to the gala. I was around, you know, I was in a ballroom with probably 1,500 people. Again, it was top of mind, but the way we all thought about it was if someone was coughing. So if someone was coughing, you would sort of joke and say, you know, stay away from me, you know. But Howard is a love fest. You know, we were all hugging and having a great time. And I went back to someone's hotel suite and a bunch of us was in there drinking champagne after the gala. And I remember at around midnight, I just felt very tired. And it was just not like me, especially because I was around many of my dear friends and sorority sisters and stuff. But I went back to my room and I passed out, which again was very strange. And when I woke up to travel back to New York from Washington, DC, I was driving back. I almost fell asleep behind the wheel. And when I realized I've never done that, I said, let me stop and get some coffee. And I barreled through, you know, when I got back into New York that Monday, um, I felt, I just did not feel myself. That Tuesday, I'm in the office and my same girlfriend who I was referring to, who had to go to a conference in Las Vegas, texted me and said that she was in a hospital in Las Vegas and that they were testing her for COVID. And um, she was very concerned about, about the test. And I was sitting at my desk like, this cannot be happening, you know, because we just didn't know anything. And I'm like, you know, here we are actually having this conversation through text. And I said something to my colleagues and they all said, oh my God, you better go quarantine and go home. So I did. And then that evening she, she sent me a text saying that in fact, she was positive. And that was March the 9th. And then I spent several days you know, I didn't say anything to my parents. I, I didn't really say anything to anyone. I just knew that I didn't feel right. And I was trying to figure out how I could get tested. And there was just nowhere to go. It was chaos. It was absolute, complete chaos. And I was hearing so many different things. And basically, they were saying, you know, if you didn't have symptoms, you shouldn't come. You know, you would have to, well, put it this way. If you didn't have severe symptoms, you really couldn't get tested. And I didn't have severe symptoms. I just had kind of fatigue and like a sniffle. But by that Friday, I woke up with a fever and could barely get out of bed. And I ended up being sick from, that was what, March the 12th. I was sick um, until March, the end of March, March the 30th, um, where, you know, I could get out of bed just to heat something up for myself, but I definitely didn't do very much. And then I spent two weeks, I would say, in April in recovery, um, just dealing with trying to be on Zoom meetings, trying to do my meetings and stuff, but only able to work a couple of hours because I would feel such an extraordinary amount of fatigue that honestly really scared me. It really scared me because it made me feel, and I don't want to misspeak, but you know, it just felt like I had cancer or something. Like I just, it was a fatigue that I cannot explain, like a heaviness that made me feel very old and very fearful that it wouldn't go away. But it, it finally did around April 15th. And then I dealt with some side effects like hair loss um, that I've had to deal with. It's growing back, but I did have to deal with some hair loss as well. And I definitely know some um, folks, some friends of mine that have had to deal with the same kind of side effects. And I will say from that dinner party that I had, March the 4th, there, as I said, there was 10 of us, eight of us ended up being um, positive with COVID. 
And listening to your story, you caught COVID, as you say, very early in the pandemic. I mean, we speak about March. We were still here in South Africa on campus and still enjoying life for only our first case to come a little later, March 11th. How did it feel being one of the first in your group of friends to have caught COVID and around the world to have caught COVID? And what were some of your fears around it? And how did you treat it? How did you get post to the point where in April you felt slightly better or the fatigue was reduced? I, I really felt like I was in some kind of dream. I could not believe it. Um, in particular, because my friend who was sick in Vegas is, you know, an author and, and pretty well known. And it was just like, of all, like, we were just like, we have gotten COVID. This is like, like out of the movies. Like it was like, this is out of the movies. And then it was a ripple effect of, like I said, all of the people that were at my dinner party, except for two people. Um, and all of us having it at different levels and communicating with one another. And again, because I was down in Washington, D.C. at Howard University's gala, I had to let the people that I was around know that I was sick. And then, of course, it spread. You know, Howard is a, is a very close network. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So many of my sorority sisters were reaching out. I felt isolated because I live at, uh, alone and I was afraid for my father to come by. My parents are out on Long Island. I was afraid for my father to come in and bring me food. So he would just sort of drop it off and keep going. So in a way I, you know, I was feeling isolated, but I also felt loved because I was getting a lot of um, text messages and emails and phone calls from people all over the country reaching out to me. Um, so many people uh, bought food for me and had it delivered and um, bought vegetarian meals that I could just heat up. I got um, an amazing amount of love in, in medicine and, um, you know, um, ibuprofen. And I, I went through bottles, I mean, really bottles of cough medicine. And the illness is a weird progression where you might feel okay one day and you think you can kind of get up and do something. And then it's like, no, you can't. And I got to a point with my cough that was very scary. I mean, I could not speak without coughing. And there was a period where I was still trying to do a little bit of work and trying to, you know, be on Zoom calls because I, as I said, I have so much going on in my life. But when I would cough, I mean, when I would talk, I would cough so bad that I would feel like I was going to vomit. That's how bad it was. And one of my close friends said that I needed to start boiling water and putting tea tree oil in the water and putting my head over the boiling water. And it was very hard to do, but I would do that twice a day. I did that like twice a day for about two weeks. And I kept doing it until my um, cough went away and my lungs cleared up. There were a couple of times, you know, where I was laying down flat in my bed and I started to realize that I could do that. And someone texted me, she said, don't ever lay flat down. She said, always try to sit up when you sleep um, because I was having a very hard time breathing. And there was definitely one evening where I was, you know, I remember, I don't know if you guys are, you know, about the DJ uh, D nice, who's been spinning on Instagram for all these months, the quarantine um, club. And I was listening to him play old school, you know, hip hop, house, R&B. And I was, you know, like listening to the music 
and enjoying it. And at the same time, I kept thinking, you know, you don't want to go to the hospital. You don't want to go to the hospital. You don't want to go to the hospital. And I just was literally praying through it. And I eventually fell asleep. And when I woke up, I could breathe a little bit better. Thank you, God, because that was the last thing I wanted because I was afraid of going to the hospital because here in New York, it got to the point where a thousand people were dying a day. And we heard sirens all the time. And now I don't turn on the television right away. But at that time, all of us were just like on the television to see what was going on. And it just made you more fearful because there were, you know, bodies and trucks that they were finding at funeral homes. And they were bodies and trucks at hospitals, like huge, huge trucks filled with bodies. And they didn't know where they were going to bury all the people. So it felt very dark here in New York. You could hear a pin drop. And I live in Brooklyn in a city and it's very busy. And you could hear a pin drop at one point. You couldn't hear anyone really other than somebody maybe walking their dog, a car going by here and there. But um, I was definitely afraid. But I I will say this, that I'm very strong. I was very strong going into COVID. Um, You know, I worked out a lot. I'm blessed with having the resources. You know, I was able to eat the right foods. I was able to have the kinds of herbs and the teas and the medicine and, you know, salmon and the things that I needed to get better. But I kept thinking and was very emotional thinking about so many people who don't have the resources that I have. And that's why so many people have passed because they didn't have the resources. So, you know, and the other thing I would just say is that you know, hearing Trump now talk about, you know, you can beat it and don't be afraid of it. It is very serious and it hits people differently. Um, I think that I, you know, I've heard and read that you can have viral overload where you're, you've been around so many people that were positive and that's why it hits you harder. And I think that's what happened because some of my friends said I would have never expected for you to get so sick because people knew how much I exercise and how fit I've been but I mean it knocked me out wow uh amazing stuff Sonia thank you so much for sharing and please don't worry we are going to talk about the president of the United States of America in just a few moments but listening to you recount your experiences just now I almost immediately remembered that now you as an individual are uniquely positioned as someone who, as you alluded to earlier, you first heard about the virus in February of this year, feels like a lifetime ago. And you admitted in um, the bit that we covered earlier that you were too, you, you were a bit too busy to actually pay specific attention to the reports and what the noise was all about. Then you caught the virus. And now that you've successfully recovered from the virus, what ways do you think this experience has changed your your feelings about the pandemic and the way other Americans, um, both those that are in support of safety measures being taken and those Americans who are still, for lack of a better word, ignorant to the realities uh, that face us all across the world. Can you take us through how your feelings towards this pandemic have changed based on your experience and possibly compare that to some of the things you've heard from other Americans? It's been a very traumatizing time. You know, it really has. I'm, you know, I am a very optimistic, upbeat person, a very overall happy person, very goal oriented, very driven in my life. I live, you know, sort of a passion filled life. 
And so this has been um, a cloud just hovering, you know, and with all the racial protests going on, it has been a lot to, to deal with and to just try to show up every day at work on Zoom and, and stay focused. Um, you know, you still have to navigate the world. I have to go out to the grocery store. I have to go to sometimes the corner stores. I, you know, have to go out, you know, from time to time. And it's frustrating because most New Yorkers, most people here in New York are wearing masks, but I've gotten in my share of back and forths with people who um, are not wearing masks, people who have come up to me very closely um, as if everything is normal, going into stores where you might have to just get a bottle of water really quickly and you go in there and a bunch of people walk in and several of them are not wearing masks and you feel trapped. And then you're looking at the owner of the store who feels afraid to say anything because, you know, their lives have been threatened. They've been threatened. You know, there have been people who have damaged stores and um, it's a very scary, volatile time. Um, but at the same time, you do feel that there's also, um, you know, a lot of love it's, it's this weird way here in this country where I feel that there are people who are smart people and then there are just ignorant people. And it's not to me even about politics. It's not necessarily about Democrat or Republicans. It's more just about ignorance and then people that are just more conscious and more concerned by, you know, their fellow human being. And my friends, we talk about this all the time. I talk about this with colleagues all the time. We're just trying to understand what in the world is wrong with these people who talk about, you know, you know, this wearing a mask is taking away their rights and all of that. So um, I just, I spent a lot of time praying and trying to figure out what, what does this all mean? I think that this is absolutely happening for obviously reason, everything happens for a reason. Unfortunately, there's been so much death and loss. Um, but I pray that it's helping people to wake up and come together and certainly to vote, um, you know, vote early and definitely to vote on November 3rd. Um, but I have to tell you that there's a lot of us that are just, we are just kind of perplexed. We just don't kind of understand. And just the way also there was just a lack of um, of a plan, the way that he put it up to the governors to figure out and then wanted to at certain times try to control the governors. Um, and so all across America, different states are many of them doing different things, yet we call it the United States of America. It's like a complete joke. Um, you know, it's made me afraid to live anywhere else other than New York and New York has its share of problems. But when I look at other parts of the country, I'm like, I, I'm very grateful that I live here because at least here, I do feel in New York that overall people care more about, it seemed to care more about each other. And I have to say that when our numbers were spiking like crazy, you know, there were other states that were like laughing at New Yorkers and making it seem like New Yorkers were responsible for COVID or something. And then their, you know, numbers started to spike. But I, I say, you know, you know, I have friends all across this country. I have family and friends down in Georgia and California, you know, all across this country, especially in the Washington DC area and Chicago, Detroit, 
and I'm in contact with many of those folks and they're looking at people in their community just shaking their head like, what the hell? Um, but all I can hope for and pray for is that it'll continue to help many of us come together, but we cannot rest. We cannot stop keeping our eye towards you know, what's right and um, having concern for our fellow human being. Now, you've touched on some very important aspects that we'd like to go in deeper and unpack further. So 2020 is an election year in the United States. So do you think that it being an election year has impacted the COVID response that has been put together by your country? And as you mentioned, it was a very divided type of plan. And how, as someone who tested positive, would you have preferred the government or your leaders to deal with this pandemic, a more unified response. I mean, here in South Africa, it wasn't a provincial thing, even though we're not a federal country, it wasn't a provincial thing. Everyone was on lockdown, everyone was doing the same thing. Wow, that's just, you know, I just, I, I have honestly felt envy, you know, when I look at other countries and just the way that people care deeply. And I, I don't want, for anyone to take any of what I'm saying the wrong way, because there are plenty of people in this country that are individuals who believe in human rights, who believe in justice, who believe in love, who believe in compassion and caring for one another. It just makes me sad that our government um, just, I think, have, has, you know, he has been, Trump has been so focused on getting reelected, you know, absolutely focused on it. An uh, interview has come out in recent weeks where he knew all about COVID back in January. He knew all about it and he spoke about it and it's all recorded. I mean, he spoke about the fact that he knew it was deadly, that he knew that it was a thousand times more deadly than the flu, that he knew that it was deadly because it was airborne. He knew that it was deadly for the elder, for people who are seniors. He knew all about it. And what he wanted to do was spin. He wanted to make sure that in his in his words, that people didn't go into a panic. And instead of giving people the right information, he politicized it. He made it seem like Democrats are just hysterical, that Democrats are trying to control people by enforcing people to wear a mask. He's recently made fun of Biden for wearing a mask all the time. You know, when he just came out of Walter Reed Hospital, the other day, the first thing he did was, you know, got his photo op, made sure to take off his mask to show Americans just how strong he is, which is so insensitive. He's such a maniac uh, to stand there with his mask off and then walk into the White House that way, putting so many people at risk. And his mixed messages from day one has made his base, you know, feel that they did not have, have to protect themselves. And we all knew, all of us who were more conscious and, and you know, protecting ourselves and concerned, kept saying those numbers in those states are gonna go up. Those numbers in those states are gonna go up. And sure enough, in the South, the numbers started going up. In Texas, the, start, the numbers started going up. Um, so he is responsible for killing tens of thousands of people. He is responsible for it. And he hasn't listened to the science. He hasn't listened to some of the greatest scientists in the world 
because he knew he knows better. Um, and it's a very scary thing to have someone who's such a complete narcissist and so concerned with being elected more so than caring about human life. Very powerful stuff, Sonia. And in asking you what I'm about to ask you, I don't mean to position you as any sort of political analyst that you might not be. But with being that we are talking about the president and we are talking about 2020, the election year over there in the United States of America, in the event, let's say, for instance, that Joe Biden wins this election, what do you think will be the scope of the amount of work he'll have to do repairing the damage that President Trump has left in his wake in the over the course of trying to deal with the pandemic in that part of the world? You know, as I think about when Obama took office and when I hear people say, you know, he could have done more. I'm like, these people are like, (laughs) you know, what he had to deal with in Congress to get things passed. You know, Biden's going to be walking into some of the very same scenarios. It is not going to be easy. The economy, you know fixing this mess, you know, the fact that there has been no plan. Here we are, the richest country in the world with no, like, (laughs) trying to get PPE was, you know, it was very difficult. You know, the, the lack of resources to schools, for schools to open safely in various institutions. This country has a lot of resources. The resources under Trump has, have not been put towards, you know, safety and putting the, the well-being, the safety of, uh, of Americans first. Um, and I know that under Biden, that he will prioritize that. I have no clue. It's above my head to know how he goes about it. But I do know the main thing is he will prioritize it. People will be able to feel safer, you know, because he's going to put human life first. Um, And again, we have so many resources. They just haven't been directed towards uh, COVID relief. And that's the problem. And there's no plan for tracing, you know, there's no plan for the for the vaccine. And all these companies, you know, are fighting to be the first company to, you know, come up with the vaccine. Meanwhile, I think, I don't know the percentage, but there is a very high percentage of people, I think it's over 60%, of people who are afraid to even try this vaccine, try a vaccine. Um, And what's going to be the rollout plan of the vaccine under Trump? I would be scared to death about that. I wouldn't trust him. So, I, I, you know, we have to have Biden to get us through the rest of this. You know, it's going to be a heavy, heavy, heavy lift, but I think there's just going to be more trust in him being able to manage it. There is no other choice at this point. Now, during the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter protests have been rife across the United States. How did they play a role in your life? And do you think they impacted the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the numbers in your country? So interesting, the timing of this question, because I literally, um, you know, as I said, I, um, through my work, I work with uh, two um, mass incarceration organizations and yesterday facilitated a conversation um, with the founder and president of Children's of Promise, which is an organization that focuses on 
uh, children and youth that are uh, a parent or parents that are incarcerated. Um, and she spoke with the founder and executive director of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors. And I literally just yesterday coordinated that conversation, which will premiere um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Black Lives Matter um, is very much a part of my life. Um, at this point, I've met all the founders and I've worked with all of the founders in some capacity, which is so ironic. Um, and I am very, um, I, I feel hope of this sort of, you know, momentum, this generation of young people that are taking to the streets like never before. It's more diverse. It's more colorful than ever before. Um, it feels very strategic. Um, I know that people, you know, have issue with the call to defund the police, um, but that's not what they're saying. Um, it's more about taking some of the extraordinary amount of resources that go to the police and putting it towards social programs in various marginalized communities. Um, I think this is a time where, um, you know, women are being lift up, you know, because of the racial protests and the killings of black and brown people, particularly Breonna Taylor. Um, I, you know, have been pleased that people have, you know, not let up around that and have really stood by uh, the families and have been holding court within that community to be there for the community. Um, I just, you know, I just wanted to keep going. You know, uh, this country is a country that um, has a short attention span. Um, you know, we can be very reactive to things, you know, um, very reactive. Um, and then it kind of dies down. But there are organizations like Black Lives Matter, um, Color of Change, and, um, you know, I just, I love the fact that, you know, they are uh, really pushing and I pray that uh, the momentum will keep going. And I will say that the one thing about racism that I think about all the time is that it's not Black people's, you know, charge to really end racism. Um, you know, it's white people, you know, in this country. And so um, what I have found frustrating is, you know, their silence. I feel that we need to have more white people standing up. I mean, I am seeing, you know, certainly younger white people, you know, in protests and, um, you know, using their voice, but we need to definitely see more of that. Um, there has to be more um, allyship and people working um, together in partnership. And so, you know, no question, there are a lot of companies, major companies reaching out to organizations that focus on racial justice and organizations that focus on mass incarceration and trying to do the right thing. You know, I, I have definitely through my work have been seeing that. I've seen a lot of nonprofits really looking at the way that they um, address diversity, equity and, and inclusion within their organizations and coming out with strong, you know, anti-racist statements and really looking at their organization overall from the top down. I've been a part of that process with several organizations that revised their vision and mission statements um, as a result of the killings of black and brown people. Um, but I, you know, overall, I think there needs to be more done. I think that allyship and white people in this country taking more leadership 
around racism is what we need to see far more. Now, Sonia, staying with the theme of 2020 being election year in the United States, I I think it's safe to say across the rest of the world, the general consensus about Donald Trump as a leader is not not necessarily the the most positive. I don't I don't I don't imagine you think? the general <laughs> consensus about about so about Donald Trump as a leader is a particularly positive one in the general sense across the rest of the world. And with uh with with reports surfacing here and there about the lead over Trump that Biden has has built for himself up up until before the election, the day of the elections on November 3rd, and the ways in which the debate has emerged as to what kind of leader America needs to, to guide them safely through dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic. Can you take me through, in your opinion, what is going to be demanded of the citizens of America and the role that they need to play in getting that leader that they need in the White House, not just by voting, but by a by a coming together of the minds that 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 I that I certainly feel personally needs to happen among many people in America. Can you take us through the role that you think the American citizens are going to need to play in order to get the leader that they need in the White House? You know, I think that we are seeing the signs of and have for some time of a man who wants to be a dictator. And there are things that he has done very early on in his time as president that we have never seen a president be able to get away with ever. you know, there are scandals, you know, like the Watergate scandal of Nixon that I remember as a child that pales in comparison. I mean, he has done thing after thing after thing where he's fired so many people um, who stood up against him or, you know, who told the truth. Um, he's crooked. He's absolutely crooked and he's a liar and he wants to be a dictator. Um, And so even with the protests, you know, that have taken place, they became more dangerous because he was sending in people, you know, to basically control uh, the protesters and, you know, um, making it very, very scary that people can't peacefully protest. Um, And, you know, the rhetoric rhetoric that he uses in regards to, you know, um, governors and mayors in the liberal states not having control, you know, of people and allowing them to, you know, cause damage in communities and terrorize communities under protest. And those are, those, they, he likes to focus on that. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but primarily it's been peaceful protests. So, and in so many regards, everything has felt so out of control because not only is he a liar, but everybody that he, you know, is that's around him lies for him. They're afraid to go against him because they'll be fired. So there's a long list of people that have been fired. Um, And, you know, we feel embarrassment. We feel that the United States should be a global leader and bringing people together and not talking about building walls to keep people out. 
Um, I will never forget when he said, you know, um, he called countries, you know, in Africa and other parts of the world, you know, uh, you know, I think he said shitty countries. I think that's what he, I think that's what he said. I mean, it was, people were cringing. Um, And so believe me, you know, there are millions of people that want him out. And you can see that people want him out because so many people are voting early. And there's a whole movement around voter suppression, um, you know, to to try to um, address that uh, because, you know, the uh, the Republicans have it's very it's a very serious thing for them. They have been working to prevent black and brown people, prevent people from having the right to vote. They're trying to go back 50 years. And so there's a whole movement of people who are fighting against that. So that's happening. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the protests, the advocacy you see on social media, um, you're seeing so many people, celebrities, people with power using their voice about people voting. And um, it's great to see. But to your point, there is a fear about whether that's enough. He is so crooked. We're wondering whether he will leave the White House peacefully when he loses. You know, there is literally fear around that. Um, you know, he's trying to create this you know, this message that voting isn't safe, you know, that, you know, that the voting process is going to be tampered with and that you can't trust it. Um, All I can say is that there are a lot of people that I know feel fear. And there are a lot of people that I know that feel like I will put my body, you know, up against this president if I have to die (laughs) for my right to vote. Um, That's how many people feel. I do think that if he is reelected, it's going to, I would not be surprised if there wasn't a civil war in the United States. I would not be surprised. A scary picture you paint there, Sonia, of what could possibly come out of 2020. But then that foregrounds my next question to you. What are your hopes for 2020? You shared with us you're an incredibly hopeful person. What do you hope to come out of 2020, being an election year, being a COVID year, being a pandemic year? What does your 2020 hopefully want to end on? Well, 2020 is around the corner. So that's just really a hard question, you know, because, you know, it will be December 31st before you know it. Um, But I pray Biden is the president of the United States and Kamala Harris is the vice president of the United States, which, by the way, I'm extremely proud of. Uh, we graduated from Howard University at the same time. So she was there when I was there. Um, and I think that that will give a lot of us here in the United States um, the ability to breathe a little bit better. But we have a long road ahead. I just, I just know that change is going to be very difficult, that there are more people who believe in human rights and justice Um, and love rather than hate, but hate is an intense emotion and that there are going to be people that are going to still try to make it very difficult for Biden. There are going to be people, um, white supremacist organizations that are going to continue to mobilize. Um, I'm afraid, you know, to a certain degree when I look towards the future, you know, but I just try not to focus on that too much. And I just try to focus on being hopeful and um, um, thinking of love and 
and people, you know, um, being able to have the resources that they need, um, that people are able to live um, in a country that um, makes them feel affirmed, safe, um, you know. Uh, but, you know, as I said, hate is a, is a very hard thing to fight against. And um, it's very, it's mind boggling to me. It's very hard for me to wrap my head around hate. It really is. Um, you know, one thing I will say just before we end is that, you know, I remember when Obama was president those eight years and I kept thinking, you know, those Republicans, those people who, you know, don't like him, don't like what this country is standing for right now, you know, I mean, him and him and Michelle, they took so many blows. There was so much hate from the right and they were organizing more than ever. They thought that their country was being taken away from them, that their privileges were being taken away from them. Um, you know, I just, you know, I just know that Having Biden in office will certainly move us in the right direction, but we have a long, long way to go. That's all I can say. A long way to go indeed, Sonia, which segues me very neatly to my final question for you at this time. For anyone listening right now who either has no clue of what's going on in America or just has a one-sided view of everything that is happening in your home country over the course of this pandemic, as far as all of the protests are concerned, as well as with the election coming up, is there anything you feel the need to set the record straight on for those listening right now who might, as I said earlier, might not be aware? Is there anything you feel important to share with the listeners as far as your commitment as the American citizens to get, oh, to get past this traumatizing chapter of the COVID-19 pandemic, as far as your commitment as American citizens to see the election going the way everyone that wants it to go the one way goes that one way. Is there anything you feel the need to share with our listeners as far as that's concerned? To please know that there's more love in this country than hate and that the protests that you see, you know, not the anarchists, not the people that are, you know, causing, you know, the rioting that you've seen, um, the, you know, folks breaking into stores and, and all of that, um, you know, but the, the protests and, and I don't know how much coverage you, that you've been able to see, but believe me, there has been a lot of peaceful protests. There's been a lot of act activism and there's been a lot of people that um, have taken to the streets and that are using their voice. There's a lot of activism in this country. There are a lot of nonprofits that do amazing work in this country. There are a lot of civic leaders that do amazing work in this country that believe in a global uh, world, in one world. And, you know, unfortunately, because of digital platforms that, you know, there's a lot of negative messaging that, you know, um, that's out there. Um, but please trust that, you know, most of us <laughs> absolutely believe in a, in a global world, in one world, um, in a world that, um, you know, celebrates human rights for all people um, of all faiths, um, people who have LGBTQ, women's rights, you know, um, that is the vast majority of people in this in this country. And I just want uh, people around the world who will listen to this conversation to truly know that. And, 
And I am a very, very, very proud African-American. A proud African-American woman indeed. We have just been in conversation with Sonia Shields, citizen of the United States of America, resident of New York, alumni of Howard University, activist in the social justice arena, and most importantly, a survivor of COVID-19. Talking to us ahead of the massive day come November 3rd, 2020, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden vying for the presidency and how all of that has mixed into a large mesh of issues that American citizens have had to deal with over the course of dealing with this pandemic. We thank her so much for her time. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or stream by www.varfm.co.za.